Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Crosswise. It's James here, and continuing with our series of retro episodes. As I said, Crosswise is not an explicitly retro show, but we do seem to be picking up a lot of retro and vintage guests. Well, the guests aren't necessarily vintage, but the technology we talk talk about is this week i'm really honored to have this guest with us i've been a fan of his youtube channel for quite a while now and i i wish i had the skill set and the eyesight to be able to do some of the restorations he can so would you please welcome to the show sean from action retro hello (laughs) thanks for having me you, my absolute pleasure. We were we were just talking sort of post show, uh, pre show about you know sort of being on different shows, and I, I I'm still in that sort of oh my gosh I've got a genuine YouTuber on my show <laughs> phase. Well, I don't know. That's uh, I think I'm just a guy actually. <laughs> okay, fine, that works. So please welcome to the show, just a guy. Just a guy. My name is Sean. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Oh, my pleasure to have you here, Sean. So, Action Retro, when I first hear of Action Retro, it makes me think of, like, um, a you know, a, a toy line that are, like, you know, transformable, like, <laughs> classic Max. I've got I've to ask, where did this, I, mean, I mean, I guess part of your story, where did you start and where did the name for the channel come from? Well, the name just popped into my head. You know, it was kind of the, the short story behind the channel is right when, you know, everybody went into Can't Leave Your House... You know, I was watching a lot of YouTube and, you know, we were talking pre-show about, you know, Dan Wood, who was uh, and Ravi Abbott. You know, the stuff that they did was like a huge inspiration, right? So I was spending all of my time stuck in the house watching YouTube and watching Dan Wood get his Amigas online. And I was I was like, I wonder if I can get my Macs online and let me try to, try to film it. So I kind of just set a weird goal of, uh, I wonder if I can make a video once a week and just upload it to YouTube. And I was trying to think of a name like, okay, so I'm not like totally just restoring things or like just demonstrating them. I'm trying to like do weird stuff with them, like upgrade them, get them online, use them for something. So I thought, okay, action retro. Yeah. So, you know, action retro, we action packed doing stuff, that kind of thing. (laughs) And I think that's a very, very apt description. Not many people I know would attempt for example, one of Sean's recent videos has been to create a raid array, <laughs> not out of... Well, I mean, actually, I was going to say not out of inexpensive discs, but actually out of inexpensive discs. Yeah. Because you made a raid array of... Now, what what did it end up being? It wasn't 30 drives in the end, was it? It was... It, was it like 25 or so that actually wound up working? It was loud. There were a lot. <laughs> yeah, that that was a... I don't know where that idea came from either. It just kind of popped into my head. You know, I wonder if I can raid together all these floppies. I thought, I wonder if anybody has done it before. And I found some people who did like four or five floppies. It's very hard to find like USB floppy drives these days. Mm. Yeah. Especially working ones. I had a lot of them that just didn't work. <laughs> uh, and I still have a big box of floppy drives now that I don't know what I'm going to do with. Well, you know, handy for backups, maybe your boot discs. I, I, I suppose. I, yeah, I mean, I, I know, um, I know, Eight Bit Guy did a raid of USB thumbsticks, oh, yeah. but yeah. they're almost more, you know, they're more in line with an SSD, mm-hmm. and you definitely do raids with SSDs. But and then, of course, you hosted a website <laughs> off that raid. I mean, if you if we're not going to call that action retro. I don't know what what is action. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. Well, that was a lot of fun. I can't believe it worked. <laughs> the funny thing is I put it up on Hacker News and it hit the front page. So it had, you know, 
I, I don't know exactly how much traffic it had, but I had it set so there was no like disk cache. Uh, so every request went right to the floppy disks, and well, that thing sang. <laughs> I bet that was that was probably what is it flopper floppytron the, oh, the yeah. music? Yeah, I love floppytron. Yeah, he just made a new one. Yeah, pretty recently. Yeah, it's pretty epic. That's is pretty impressive. Yeah, and I guess that brings us on to my first sort of like sort of point of discussion is. You know, we're talking about what makes this interesting. It's kind of a theme we've been going for. You know, we talked to Dan and Ravi recently about what makes retro special. Why retro? So, I guess my question to you is: obviously, looking back at your video history, you know, you take apart all these Macs. You do stuff on, you know, really vamping up. I think it was the the color classic that you turned into this monster mystic thing yep. with upgraded power PC. What is it for you? that makes restoring that vintage tech, but not just restoring it, just pushing it to inconceivable levels of extra performance? You know, that's like a multi, multi-faceted multi answer, I think. But uh, to keep it quick, uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, well, a quick story. Like, I, I've been doing this kind of since I was a teenager, right? Like, uh, I used to drive around our neighborhood uh, going to the fancier neighborhoods on trash day, just looking for people throwing out computers and found a couple of Macs that way. I remember I had uh, back in maybe 2002, I had a 386 grayscale laptop. I was like, I wonder if I can do everything from here. So like I put AOL Instant Messenger on there, all my email, doing all my web browsing. You know, I could only open up one AIM conversation at a time. But I was like, I wonder if I can just make this work. <laughs> and I, I don't know where that, exactly comes from but then kind of the other part of it is you know i think a lot of people are nostalgic for a time when computers were a lot friendlier when we were a lot more connected to kind of the you know it was not not an insular community but it was more tight-knit i think you know today the internet is just kind of an appliance that everything is connected to or it's a network that all of our appliances are connected to rather. But back then you kind of had to know something about the computer. You're interested in how it works, you know, upgrading it kind of is part and parcel of being interested in, you know, kind of the, the mechanics of it. It wasn't just a throwaway device. It was something that you really cared about. Um, and the, the good thing is all those old computers, you know, they're still there. You, you can still care about them and play with them. And uh, I think that's what I really like about doing this and, and keeps me doing it you know, you can kind of show that love to those computers again and and still do something with them. Absolutely. You know, and I have fond memories of, you know, I, I don't think we ever really did any major upgrades to, uh, to our Amiga beyond adding in an external floppy drive to make just copying your user. Um, <clears throat> didn't say that out loud. Um, <laughs> but I certainly remember working on a, oh, a, I think it was a, it was our second PC it was a Pentium 200 MMX mm. on an AT board. So it wasn't an ATX board, it was an AT wow. board, which caused a few interesting little things. And I remember putting one, I think it was a, yeah, it was a Voodoo 3, because it was the first Voodoo card where you didn't need a, a dedicated 2D card as well. And I remember just having a nightmare installing that thing and having to learn and me with, you know, with my eyesight trying to put everything back together. Yeah. I've gotten better at you know at doing work on PC since then, but it was you know there was no online help as such, or well let me rephrase that there was, 
but the only way I could get online was by the PC that I'd just taken apart. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, and it is, you know, seeing one of the things I love about your channel is seeing just the determination, <laughs> the, the the passion in, you know, in, in putting these things together and just, you know, seeing all the different SCSI solutions. We were talking, you know, we were talking about how, in fact, I think Neil from RMC Retro, he's just got a huge haul of new machines. And one of them had one of these sidecar Amiga 500 expansion hard drives. And it wasn't a Commodore one. It was a, oh, um, I forgot my name of the thing. But he was then took it all, let's put a SCSI to SD solution in there. And it means, you know, you're not reliant on that most of the vintage drives that you'll find in machines you pick up probably don't have long for this world. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of SCSI to SD, I mean, that's also one of the coolest things about the kind of community around vintage computers today. People are just creating upgrades, accelerators, drive solutions, you know, things that you never could have fathomed back when these computers were new. Can you imagine like buying solid state storage for these machines back in like the 90s? (laughs) You know, you couldn't even you couldn't even imagine that it was possible. And now people are just creating these things as a hobby. And we have all these tools now. You know, our modern computer is kind of serving as a second fiddle to making all these things for ancient computers with a fraction of the processing capability. But yeah, it's just, uh, it's really amazing that we can do things like that. You know, I remember, you know, we talk about solid state media. I remember the first digital camera I owned we used, not SD, not compact flash, it used smart media. <laughs> yeah. Oh, those things were like flimsy as anything. But, you know, now, you know, SD was a format designed for digital photography, you know, unless you're Sony, of course, and you use floppy drives in your uh, cameras. I had a Mavica. <laughs> yeah, my my, uh, my school, we had a Mavica, and it just the whole idea of... Oh, I thought it was so cool. Like, oh, look, it's on a floppy. I can put it right in my computer. <laughs> it was great. It was it was a cool idea but of course now like everything's got either an sd card slot or in fact most people don't even bother with a camera they just have their phone and everything goes straight to the cloud yeah i was saying to sean pre-show that i apologize in advance if we hear jet noises because as we record this it is the bournemouth air festival and do you know it's the only time of year that i ever wish i had a dslr again Mm. with proper lenses to get shots of those those aircraft but for day-to-day shooting Literally, I just use my my iPhone. Yeah, and I think you've maybe hit with it. It's the fascination of those old machines where you actually had to do something with them. And you know, I love I love the idea of you going back to a three eight six laptop with AIM because I have fond memories of AOL Instant Messaging. But it was actually quite a thing over here. Yeah, oddly, even though AOL being an American thing, AOL was quite a big ISP over in the UK in yeah. the nineties, and certainly we used it. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of weird and wonderful things like the Sony Mavica, I've got to ask you, and one of the things I sort of sent you pre-show you know, in advance was to maybe think about what was the weirdest system uh, that you've worked on, or, or maybe the, the one that's either weird or the one that's caused you the most nightmares. I'll let you take your pick, but yeah. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, probably the weirdest one is a recent one that I was playing with, the Brother Geobook, which, uh, oh, yes. you know, is a basically a word processor uh, released in the late 90s. And it uh, turns out it has a 386 system on a chip in there, using it to run Ge- <laughs> Geos. 
on top of uh, a weird version of DOS 622. Yeah, that was super weird. You know, looking at it, it seems very not upgradable, although I have some friends who are very smart and they're going to take a look at it too and see if they can do any shenanigans to it. But then there's also one of my favorite stories. I put a video out on that computer and I was trying to get things to run on it, like DOS software, Windows, and you know th- things it's not supposed to do. But it has a very weird keyboard in that like the key scan codes are not standard. So if you try to play like a DOS game and it's expecting a regular keyboard, you know the keys just do weird stuff. You can't play the game. Somebody who worked at Brother back in the day as a goof ported like compiled Wolfenstein for it uh, and fixed the scan codes to be compatible with the keyboard. He saw the video and he looked on his old backups and he found it and he sent it to me. So I can now play Wolfenstein 3D on the Brother GeoBook word processor 386. <laughs> that's impressive and yeah i what i mean you know i genuinely watched that video i'm like wow and I, you know i have memories of those type of machines being advertised for, for our british listeners you'll remember like the argos catalog uh, so argos was like um i guess the best way it was like a catalog shop so you you'd go into the shop but you wouldn't have except for maybe a few things nothing would really be on on shelves or display what you would do is you'd look through the catalogue and write down the item number, take it to the counter, and then magically they would bring it out from the back. But I remember those sort of machines. And, you know, just to put that whole system into context, we say it was a 386 system on a chip. Now, by the late 90s, what are we talking, Pentium 2, maybe 3? Yeah, definitely Pentium 2s in the hundreds of megahertz. And this thing is, uh, I forget, 10 megahertz? (laughs) like that yeah sub sub 100 me- well sub 20 megahertz 386s yeah. and it was an sx as well wasn't it yeah. it wasn't a dx yeah sx system on a chip that had like a the floppy controller and like the cf card controller and all this stuff on there memory controller all in the i didn't even know they made such a thing actually i suppose it would have been good in like industrial applications because yeah. you know even to this day i think there are still cases where because of compatibility there is still a market for very odd, like 486-based mm. systems to run industrial software that's never been updated and probably never will be updated. Well, I bet that's what happened. Somebody, a brother, was like, hey, I found this super cheap 386 system on a chip. Let's shove it in a computer. And I thank them for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're amazing, amazing little systems. Uh, and you've done stuff with a lot of the PowerPC uh, clones. So back in the clone days of the... Well, was it, it was the sort of mid to late 90s before Jobs returned when mm-hmm. Apple thought, okay, let's try and make some more money on licensing macOS rather than just our own hardware sales, yeah. which weren't doing too well. So yeah. you've done all sorts of things. With, I think, uh, you, I, I know, would it be fair to say you've probably got a little bit of a thing for PowerPC? Yeah, PowerPC Mac was kind of my initial fascination. Uh, also 68K, uh, kind of the transition there you know some of my first macs that i found on the street were uh 68k macs and i found a lc575 in a thrift store which was a nice all-in-one 68k mac with a a trinitron display played warcraft for the first time on that thing but yeah kind of that that whole era like the the whole beige era of macintosh with the rainbow logo pre-jobs you know that interim period between between jobs is <laughs> between jobs is. <laughs> yeah yeah i just i don't know there's something about those machines they're both lovely and also kind of unloved although 
the people who love them really love them. But I think oh, yes. Apple at the time didn't really love them that much. No, they, and and I think it's something I was talking about with with Dan Vincent on a recent episode. We were saying, you know, that product line at that time, that sixty eight k product lineup was just full of different lines, but weren't really that different. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so fascinating, and you know, seeing you do, you know, you've obviously put in higher frequency power PC upgrades to try and get. Was was it the Mystic where you really tried to push for Mystic to... Yeah, so the Color Classic, I think, is a prime example of how Apple... They didn't really love the machines they were putting out. It was like the marketing department was in charge. They were like, yeah, people want a Color Compact Mac. Just make it as cheap as possible. So it was horribly underpowered, even for the time, like unusable. But then, you know, there are upgrades for it. So there is actually a PowerPC upgrade that can work in it. You can put a motherboard... Well. The other way around. You can put a motherboard from another machine in it, the LC575. And then I put a PowerPC upgrade on top of that. Also, speaking of people who make cool stuff for old machines, uh, Keikoba in Japan, along with a couple other people, made this overclocking device that replaces the crystal clock oscillator. Mm. And you can dial in like the exact top speed of your particular board. You know, See exactly where you fall in the silicon lottery. So all of those things together turned, you know, this once extremely underpowered, unusable machine with a beautiful screen into a PowerPC machine that can browse the internet. And I, I can actually boot it between PowerPC and 68K mode. 68K has 128 megs of RAM. Yeah, so it's a, it's a lot of fun to, like, eke all of this usability out, like, <laughs> out of this thing, like squeezing a stone and, and there is water inside. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, you know, it's such a wonderful look back at the early days of, you know, of, of Mac before, you know, before, because where we are with Mac now, and I'd, I'd almost say with the later power PCs, is, you know, once we hit the Mac OS X era, it's a very different kettle of fish. Yeah. And, you know, certainly where you look at, I, I think, again, talking with Dan about this, the later G4s, I remember G5s, they were pure breed OS ten machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't run, uh, you know, the classic Mac OS. Now, you've also done some stuff, as you said, with your brother. I, you've done some stuff with a K-Pro. And what <laughs> the K-Pro made me smile, because I remember I'm a big King of a Hill fan, <laughs> and that was Peggy Hill's machine, yep. the K-Pro. And I think she, I remember her going into a computer shop and asking if her K-Pro would be Y2K compliant. That's my favorite joke in that series. I don't even think it's Y1K compliant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, she got an iMac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I cut that joke out of that video on my K-Pro, but yeah, I was trying to make a big thing like, oh, yeah, you know, it fits in with the Mac stuff because of Peggy Hill, obviously. You know, that's why yeah. I'm doing it. <laughs> it is amazing the cultural references to vintage tech that you find in, you know, in in things like King of a Hill, in you know, things like Big Bang Theory where you've got Sheldon trying to run to Wozniak with his Apple II. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, you know, us nerds are everywhere, I think. This is I true. Mean, Mike yeah. Judge, he was like an IT guy. Was he really? Yeah, before he did Beavis and Butthead and all this stuff, you know, he was just doing that on the side. Uh, and, you know, office space comes from his experience as an I, as a jaded IT guy. 
I, I, I didn't make the connection. I didn't realise that was actually his experience. That's Office Space, by the way, if you've not seen, if any listeners have not seen that film, it is a wonderful film, mainly because we somehow managed to blend about four different operating systems into one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they did that, but it, it looked incredible. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I don't know if, again, anyone who have watched it, Mike Judge is actually in that film. <laughs> yeah. He's playing the, the restaurant manager, and I didn't realise that until... Someone pointed it out to me. So, yeah, great, great series. Mm. Uh, great movie. And so let's talk a little bit about some of the, the challenges with these upgrades. Because, you know, we, we laugh and joke and say, oh, you know, you've put a new chip in. You've, you know, you've put a new storage solution. I've seen some of your videos and I've seen other videos from retro creators. And the challenges of working on, I mean, we'll start first with the all-in-one Macs with those CRTs. Because CRTs are... Is it fair to say, if you don't know what you're doing, which of course you do, but they can be pretty deadly. Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, working on anything that's plugged into a wall, you have to be careful of. And, uh, you know, some older things can be more dangerous. You know, capacitors even, you know, not just a CRT, but capacitors can hold their charge for some time if you just open it up and start touching stuff. CRTs are kind of like a big capacitor. They hold a lot of power. You have to be very careful discharging them. Uh, if you don't know what you're doing, don't touch it. Which I guess is good life advice too. You know, you should if you don't if you don't know what it is, don't touch it until you know. It's <laughs> probably a good piece of advice. Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely. I wouldn't want to discourage people from learning about it, but I would discourage them from jumping in feet first without learning about it first yeah absolutely and there are you know your videos and other people and you know other people's videos do talk about properly discharging a crt and properly grounding yourself and how to discharge stuff so do you know i guess do go and if you are going to start tinkering with anything that's retro be careful and you know as we see far too many times capacitors can explode yeah. And do some rather nasty damage. And in addition to that, you know, you can, if you don't know what you're doing and you just jump in after watching a video or two, you know, you could irreparably damage your beloved old machine. It's a lot easier to fix it if it's not completely destroyed. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. So, you know, if you've got a working, let's say you've got a working Mac 512K, but you aren't confident in what you're doing to upgrade it, would you say just leave it well enough alone? Or if you've got someone local or someone who you can reach out to who knows how to do these things, would you say maybe sometimes it's worth paying someone to actually do those upgrades for you? Yeah, it's definitely, you know, paying is a great shortcut if, you, if your only goal is to use the thing, right? You want to preserve your childhood memories on this ancient machine. The hard drive is about to give up the ghost, you know, send it to someone who can fix it. They can recap it, make sure it lasts for another 20, 30 years. But then if you are interested in learning about it, I would say a good thing to do is look at some forums. And, you know, there's places like Tinker Different, which is a great forum, 68K MLA, which has been around forever. Uh, There's all kinds of ones for every, every kind of computer out there. You know, Amiga has a huge online community. In addition to just watching the videos and getting some inspiration, you know, they cut a lot of stuff out. Uh, for time because you know it can take you know six days to figure out you know eight hours a day trying to just tinker with something you know in a 20 minute video 
But yeah, talking to people who are knowledgeable is a great way to go before you ever even try to open up your machine. And on the back of that question, man, so obviously you've done a lot of these videos. What would, Which of your videos that come to mind has take, just been that time so that we're like, oh, I, really, I just can't figure this out. I'm going to have to go away and come back to this. Oh, man. Uh, that, that's a tough Put one. Actually, I haven't, haven't really thought of that one. I mean, no, you know, the, the one that I would say above all is the PowerBook 2400C, right? It was a, an older video, a computer that I've always wanted, and I found one. I paid way too much for it because they're so rare, uh, and it worked when I got it. It worked beautifully. Screen was beautiful. I was playing games on it. But you have to take them apart because there's a leaking battery inside and 100% of them leak and they leak right on the logic board. So I took it apart and yes, it had already exploded. There was blue gunk, acidic gunk everywhere. Uh, so I cleaned it up, made it look all nice, put it back together, never turned on again. Uh, and <laughs> that was oh, no. you know, very, uh, very disheartening. And it still doesn't work to this day. Recently, I got another 2400C from Japan, which is quite cool. And I took that one apart. Yes, the battery had exploded, but I cleaned it up. I used some vinegar and, you know, really tried to be careful with it. Put it back together. Took the screen from the other PowerBook. And, uh, yeah, now I finally have a working one with no ticking time bomb inside. But, yeah, that first one, I, I didn't want to come back to it for, like, almost a year. I was so disheartened by, I don't want to be too hard on myself. You know, it was teetering right on the brink of imploding because of that battery. But yeah. Yeah. If you just left it, it would have done a lot more damage. You wouldn't have had anything to salvage. Yeah. 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 Just in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the moment you're like, Oh, what have I just yeah. done? Yeah. Yeah. It's those, those moments of regret, you know, when you're tinkering with something. I mean, I, this is such a minor thing, but, I, I somehow I, these older video like that I had for the old studio is only a tiny little thing but somehow got it stuck on a tripod I just could not get it off and, <laughs> and it's you know I've definitely damaged it I had to take it apart I've definitely damaged it thankfully it was a very very cheap one yeah. these new ones are a bit nicer <laughs> and I've got uh, let's just say we've got some more upgrades coming because we are going to be live streaming um, that's the scariest thing that's happening with the whole growth of cross wires is apparently i'm going to become a streamer that's awesome I never yeah i never anticipated that when we started this whole journey but there we go well count me in so, i want to watch yeah well one of so i mean this is a little bit off topic for this episode but one of the things we're going to be doing is obviously looking at some retro games so i am absolutely going to be streaming SimCity 2000 for mm -hmm. at least a couple of hours right because you know, and you can, and obviously, chat. You'll you'll be able to comment on how bad my city designs are. You know, we will fire up some emulation. I've got a, um, in fact, no, it's down here. Uh, I've got my uh, my RetroPie rig, so we might do some more stuff with that eventually. When I have the funds for a Mister Multi System, mm. we'll start working. You know, and things like that. We'll be doing uh, one of the things we want to do is a live drop in sort of tech help session maybe for those of you who who don't have the same tech experience but love technology but maybe are stuck you know configuring your config.sys or oh wait a second this isn't the 90s <laughs> the amount of times i had to work on those i don't i mean i guess i'm a mac because i'm a mac you you because obviously my so i haven't i think i've told i used to be really anti-apple yeah I was a windows boy through and through i hated the concept of everything apple 
Um, and then I got an iPod, and it just like okay, yeah, this is this is good. And then it led yeah, to yeah. other things, Apple things. But on on my Mac, of course, you guys had extensions to worry about. Yeah, I mean, well, also what's interesting is when I was younger, I we weren't a Macintosh household. You know, my my first computer was a. 286 that I found at a flea market and then we upgraded to a 386 also found at a flea market and then we finally got a Pentium 200 MMX Compaq and that was kind of my childhood of computers uh, until I started looking around for Macs and and found forums and stuff so I was never really in the oh my god I can't figure out the extensions and I need to use this computer kind of camp you know I was in the tinkering you know (laughs) Not to say that Windows didn't have its share of why isn't this working. <laughs> no, the number of times I had to reinstall Windows because I'd done something odd to it yeah. or Windows had done something odd to itself. Yeah, I, I remember those days. Now, I mean, you sort of probably grew up around the time where the internet was just coming along. Yeah. And, you know, these days everything's online. Now, you've done a lot of videos where you, you get systems online. And as we talked about earlier, Dan got his Amigas online. If we're talking about bringing retro systems online, you know, the security nerd in me gets very anxious at this point. Like, you're putting a system that's not had security updates in how many years onto the internet? You're doing what with it? Yeah. That gets me nervous. But at the same time, there's a certain joy of going and maybe browsing retro sites on, you know, say Netscape on a retro Mac or, you know, if you were lucky enough to remember the days when internet explorer was the default browser on mac for a short time yep. what would you i mean first of all from a hardware side you can't just plug ethernet or wife or put wi-fi into you know sort of out of the box a lot of these retro machines from a hardware point of view what are the options to get them online you're definitely correct in that you can't just you know plug them in and, and your isp and and off you go the good news is you can get pretty much any machine online in some capacity, right? They make modern stuff to kind of bridge the gap. So there's actually a lot of different options. Now, of course, depending on what machine you have, you have different options. But kind of the, even the most rudimentary machines, I've seen machines from the 70s online with these new RS-232 serial Wi-Fi modems. There's one by the old net that I use with everything. And, you know, lots of machines, even back to the late 70s, have, you know, serial capabilities. You just plug it in. You might have to build an adapter, you know, but or you might be able to find one built for your machine. So I just got one for the Commodore 64 that plugs right into a, a cartridge slot on the back, and it's the same thing. It's a serial Wi-Fi modem that you can use to dial up BBSs. You can, you know, if you're a little more savvy, you can probably connect to websites with it. Otherwise, you know, some of my old Macs, even back in the day, there existed capabilities for Ethernet. So, like, I was even able to get my Mac Plus online with an external Ethernet box (laughs) plugged. I mean, it wasn't fast, but it, it did connect to my router and browse the Internet. You can definitely go down a rabbit hole finding the solution that would work for your particular machine, but it's probably out there. There is some very interesting, because of course Apple have the Apple Talk 
networking protocol as well, which is obviously more on the protocol side. But I remember seeing some really clever stuff like telephone line adapters for Apple Talk, so you could use your existing home. Like it was a very early form of home networking through without you know you just plug it into the telephone sockets and use the extensions. Yeah, you know, similar to what we you know a lot of people these days will do um, with powerline Ethernet, which. You know, is a fascinating thing. I, I up until I moved, I I did use Powerline Ethernet. Now I'm very fortunate, so no one listeners won't be able to see this. But literally down there, when I moved in, there was a so the kitchen is behind this wall because mm. um, it's only quite a small flat. Well, when I moved in, I'm like, hang on, there's a hole in the wall, literally down there. And I looked at him, hang on a second, that's the right size for an Ethernet cable. Nice. So now. I just, when the BT OpenReach engineer came to install the broadband, uh, sorry, not BT, sorry, OpenReach, not BT anymore. <laughs> uh, when we OpenReach, I said, <clears throat> you know, we, you, you're installing a new socket because someone had cut the internet cable on the other side of the house, the flat. I said, could you just widen that hole ever so slightly? <laughs> yeah, I'll do that for you. Nice. If my letting agents are listening to this, I've already told you about this and you said it's cool. So <laughs> anyway, you know. But, you know, I love the idea of a serial Wi-Fi modem because, of course, that'll be using, like, the old AT commands. And then in the hardware, it's translating those to respond back as if it were actually a dial-up modem. Yeah. Just yeah. it's connecting to Wi-Fi because dial-up internet, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, there are still some very, very rural communities that still use dial-up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, over here, there certainly are, you know, very, very rural where it would cost, you know, you, you hear stories sometimes about people who call up, an ISP for broadband, and they're like, oh, yeah, we can run the cable out to you. It'll be $50,000. <laughs> which is, I mean, as an aside, which is where Starlink becomes so attractive. Oh, yeah, yeah. So from a hardware point of view, obviously when we talk about these vintage machines, you know, maybe a browser on an old Mac or some form of browser on the Amiga, these things will not be able to support modern to an extent will not be able to support modern web technology so you'll be very lucky if you get modern https so uh, that's definitely a problem and actually uh, a fun project that i did uh, maybe a year or so ago uh, i made 68k.news and frogfind.com which are kind of like proxies right so they are not secure so http and i kind of built them with uh, using my SE30 and Netscape 3 for testing. Uh, but how they work, 68k.news just connects to the Google News RSS feed, formats that into very simple HTML, and then I use the Mozilla Readability, a port of it to PHP, uh, Mozilla Readability Library, the same one that powers Reader Mode in Firefox. And that parses the pages very nicely, and then I take that and further reduce it to very like HTML like 1.1. <laughs> But the net effect is you can actually browse, you know, a lot of stuff that way. So Google News works great that way. And then I took that same thing and made Frog Find, which is a front end to DuckDuckGo search. And then each link that you click on then goes through my little readability proxy and gets reduced to simple HTML, all text with links for all the images on the page. And I'd say it probably works on 60% of, of total websites you know, you just have to keep in mind that you're not browsing Facebook with it. You're not going to do online banking with it. But for text-based stuff, like you can go down a Wikipedia rabbit hole just fine. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that people are doing to kind of finagle the modern era. Because, like, what ruined the modern internet? You know, it 
we still just want to read stuff, right? You know? Yeah. And uh, if they just added video to reading stuff, that would be fine. But they didn't. They just saturated everything with ads and all this interactive stuff and uh, taking over your browser scroll function with JavaScript just so that it looks a little bit different and ridiculous things. But at the bottom, you know, there's still text. And, you know, my, my Mac Plus can read text just fine. So, <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. And, of course, there's the Lynx text browser as well, if you really want to be adventurous. Oh, yeah. Now, what's the, what's the tool that you can run on modern computers? And it's – effectively, it's a proxy, but and it sends back screenshots. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've, I've forgotten what that's called. I forget the name offhand, but, yeah, that's very cool. Uh, it just sends back, like, a HTML image map on a screenshot of the page. And I've seen people just – using Gmail on like an ancient machine that way. And actually that does bypass some of the security issues because it's not the browser that it's not this out of date browser. It's your local system Mm -hmm. that's actually doing it. And assuming that's up to date, actually it's kind of cool. I mean, I think, is it fair to say we probably wouldn't recommend these for you obviously hinted at online banking. Well, you're not going to be able to get one password working on a Mac plus. No, no. So, Although I do put that challenge out to the Mac, to the One Password developers, can we have a sixty eight k version yeah. of One Password? Uh, other password managers are, of course, available, um, just not as good. <clears throat> anyway, and of course, you know, go, there's loads of things like I, good old IRC clients on there. You, you know, you won't. I guess you won't be able to do things like modern messaging. Yeah, I, I really can't think of a way you'd be able to do anything close to modern messaging on vintage hardware. Yeah, well, you brought up IRC, so some some of the things that people have done is create IRC bridges to things. People created a bridge to Discord over IRC, although it's kind of against Discord's TOS, so I can't recommend it. Twitch chat, Twitch is a streaming service, right? That actually just runs on IRC. You can connect to Twitch chat via IRC. Uh, In a video I did a while ago now, I got my uh, Mac G5 streaming to Twitch, using a PowerPC Debian Linux. The way I put chat up on the screen was I just connected to IRC uh, with a really lightweight IRC client. I do love that idea. Now, that's given me an inspiration to find an old Mac or an old something. I'm thinking maybe like an old, oh, yeah, an old clamshell G3 (laughs) iBook and just have it behind me with the chat. That would be awesome. I'm 100% behind that idea. That's a great idea. (laughs) <laughs> i love it now here's a question for you though on that subject what color ibook would it have to be ah oh, geez i don't know um i mean everybody goes for green i kind of like uh, apple's grape stuff yes oh the lovely purple that's my favorite imac is my my grape imac i don't think that you can go wrong with any of them <laughs> no no i do remember trying to help uh, a classmate get the tangerine iBook connected to a projector at school because you know it wasn't obvious how to do that. Yeah, back in the day because I don't think they had VGA ports. Oh, they had a weird little like headphone jack style port that can. Yes, to, yeah, yeah, it was very weird. But you you couldn't just plug a composite cable into it. it was you had to have the dongle. Yeah, yeah, that that was fun trying to do that. Dongles even back in the day. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, people forget that you know you used to have to have dongles. Like if you if your machine only had a twenty five pin serial port, but you wanted to plug in a nine pin mouse, mm-hmm. dongle time. Yeah, excellent. Well, Sean, thank you so much uh, for joining me today and for this week. 
if people want to start learning a little bit more about restoring, and I, I guess your your journey is more pushing and upgrading systems rather than just flat out restoring to keep. Yeah. As we said earlier, do the research. What sort of resources would you point people to beyond obviously your own videos? I mean, there are a ton of great content creators on YouTube and even off of YouTube uh, who are restoring these machines, talking about how they work. I mean, kind of the classic go-to is the 8-Bit guy because he does such a good job. I've learned so much from the the 8-Bit guy, even just, you know, he's not just restoring them, but he's explaining how they work and specifics about it, putting graphs up on or charts up on the screen, showing how the electronics work. Uh, And there's a couple of great, YouTubers who do that, like Adrian Black, Adrian's Digital, Digital Basement. I've learned a ton from him. Uh, there's more Mac-centric YouTubers, and I, I've good luck of becoming friends with some of them. Uh, Steve from Mac84. Uh, I kind of learned how to recap machines by watching his streams because he just live streams the whole process start to finish, removing the caps, testing everything, uh, fixing traces, recapping the machine. Bruce from Brankus Creations in Australia. He's another one that does streams like that. And just really spending time and watching them do it is a great way to learn. Also, forums. I mentioned Tinker Different earlier, 68K MLA. There's a lot, you know, I'm more on the Mac side with those. But there's a ton of other, you know, Ami Bay is that one. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of, you know, for, for any kind of computer that you're interested in, there's going to be a forum somewhere. And you should find it and join it if you're interested in learning more. Because I think talking is the best way. Absolutely. And, and of course, we talked about Discord, but... You know, there's so many great Discord Discord servers out there from from not only creators but just in general. You know, I I will always say how much I valued being a part of the RMC Retro Discord mm. because I mean, if nothing else, it's a great community. Um, and again, Neil, you know, seeing Neil now, Neil's videos are obviously more cut down and more. You're not going to necessarily learn how to recap, but you'll see recaps, particularly Mark fixes. Um, things oh, yeah, yeah. doing his recaps and you know neil with his murder gloves cleaning old computers oh that's one thing i probably should ask have have you experienced that moment where you're just like i do not want to touch this this computer with bare hands oh yeah tons of them you know you open it up and there's just dead bugs everywhere and oh joy so sean thank you so much for your time today um where can where can people find your content um it's just youtube i know you're on twitter as well yeah, so it's youtube.com, uh, Action Retro, and uh, Twitter is Action Retro 1 because somebody else took Action Retro and I didn't feel like thinking of something different. Uh, those are kind of the primary two places to find me. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been a super fun chat. Thank you. My pleasure. So, folks, do check out crosswires.net for all the show notes for this episode. Head over to crosswires.net forward slash YouTube for our YouTube content. You can follow us on Twitter, crosswiresmg. And, of course, you can email podcast at crosswires.net. Please do send in your thoughts. I love hearing people's memories. Um, Send in audio clips if you want to. We do plan to do like a listener mailbag sort of episode at some point. Of course, if you like our episodes, please do give them a review in your podcast client or podcast store of choice. Um, If you're a Good Pods listener, why not start a discussion there? Because I promise I'll reply to everything. Thank you ever so much for listening. Take care.